enjoyed the video. Hope that hope you get to know a little bit more about ICF. Thanks, Michael, for preparing it. I didn't know they had video cameras back in 1892, but there was some good footage that you showed. Um, as, as you're probably aware, you've been coming here for many years. Uh, we've had, well, we hold College Sunday once a year, and I'm usually the speaker, but, you know, this year you've been hearing a lot from me, so I'm going to limit my sharing this morning, and I'll soon invite uh, three college students to come up and share. Uh, but before I do, I just want to give a little brief introduction to our passage and, and the sharing this morning. Um, the scripture passage that Michelle just read uh, is actually our theme passage for ICF this academic year. As you heard, Jesus in these two, in these three verses tells two very short parables. And he uses these parables to teach upon the kingdom of heaven. Both parables, as you star, saw, start off, the kingdom of heaven is like. But an initial question you might ask would be, well, what is the kingdom of heaven? If someone asks you to define this term, how would you answer? The kingdom of heaven, which could also be called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of our Lord, it refers to God's reign. A short definition would be that the kingdom of God is God's redeeming reign over all creation where evil and unrighteousness are defeated and salvation, righteousness, peace and joy are present. I can read it again. The kingdom of God refers to God's redeeming reign over all creation where evil and unrighteousness are defeated and salvation, righteousness, peace and joy are present. The kingdom of God is present in part now, but will be fully consummated when Jesus returns to claim his rightful place and fully restore all things. When Jesus first came to earth, it was the beginning of God completing this work of redemption. If you remember, when Jesus first started his ministry, it says in Matthew 3, Jesus started saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, referring to himself, is near. Jesus lived the perfect life on earth. He was sacrificed brutally on the cross and rose again to defeat sin and death once and for all. And when Jesus returns again, he will bring ultimate victory. And it says in Revelations 11:15, then all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus gave many parables to describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. In Matthew 13 alone, there's actually seven parables that all talk about the kingdom of heaven. Different parables were used to describe different aspects of the kingdom. And one common lesson we can draw from these two parables is the value of the kingdom of God. Both men in these stories you saw, they stumbled upon something very valuable. In the first, a hidden treasure. And the second, a fine pearl. And they were so ecstatic about finding this treasure that both sold all that they had to obtain it. That's what it was worth to them. So the point of the parables is that if one truly recognizes what the kingdom of heaven is, the reign of God in Christ triumphing over every evil and injustice and offering in its place everlasting life and everlasting joy, one would 
in his joy, and it's an important characteristic from the first parable, in his joy, he would give up everything to obtain it. Understand that this is not to imply that salvation can be bought or the kingdom of God can be bought. Nothing we own or ever could own would be enough to buy a place in the kingdom of heaven. I mean, even if we could pay off the the U.S. debt, it's still not enough. We could never earn it, which is why Jesus paid the price out of his love. And though we are not being told to purchase it, if the kingdom costs you everything you have, it's worth it. That's what this parable talks about, or these parables talk about. These parables teach that the kingdom of God, this gospel, should be so valuable to a Christ follower that if he or she lost everything on earth but gained the kingdom of heaven, there would be a happy trade-off. And in our heads, I think most of us know this is true. We've read a lot of Bible verses that talk about things like this. But I think in practice, we often struggle. For there are things on this earth we don't often want to give up. There could be things like our career goals, relationships, vices like described in First John that he describes as the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. These things, some of these things we just like to cling on to and we don't want to give up for the, for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God. And because of that, it keeps us from experiencing the kingdom and all of its gain. And so I'm going to ask the three students to come up now to just share a little bit about their spiritual journey and how they've come to try to value God over other things. We're first going to have Vivian come up, and then she's going to be followed by Matt, and then Matt will be followed by Gloria. So Vivian, can you come up? Good morning, everyone. My name is Vivian, and I'm a junior at Wellesley College. Um, Prior to college, I wouldn't say that I had a very clear understanding of who God is. I grew up at CBC, but was inconsistent in attending church, and during most of the time, thought of my relationship with God as something to attend to when I had time. Upon graduating from high school, I reflected on how I'd spent so much time worrying about things that paled in eternal value compared to my relationship with God such as what choir I was in or what others thought of me. Um, I wanted to recommit myself to my faith, sharing with a close friend that I didn't want to look back over the last four years as a college senior and find that I had done the exact same thing. I started attending ICF with this goal in mind, and within the first few weeks, I remember being struck by how ICFers prioritized their relationship with God and studying God's word together. Although I had this hope in the beginning of my first year, it was very easy to be distracted by the ideal college experience, along with this desire to try new things and develop new friendships, and I soon fell back into prioritizing other things, then privately wanting to recommit to God, but never sharing my desire with anyone else, and without any accountability, not being able to quite stick to it. I started my sophomore year at college with this shakiness. And for me, sophomore year came with a whirlwind of events that caused me to actively reflect on my own sinfulness and the many ways that I was broken. I felt unclean, undeserving of love, and too ashamed to face God. 
As I ran away from him, I also ran from others because I felt like my sinfulness irrevocably separated me from other Christians, my friends, my family, and that if I shared honestly, others would reject me out of disgust. I felt that I would never be able to share openly, never be able to be totally honest or vulnerable in future relationships. During this time, I was still attending ICF, mostly because I was a driver and I didn't want to let anyone down, um, and having ICF as an available community was truly a blessing. Um, even when I wasn't ready to share, other individuals showed me what being vulnerable with godly intentions looked like, both with others and with God. And with time, something clicked. As the other girls in my small group shared more vulnerably, it encouraged me to share openly and honestly as well, and be faced with nothing but love and acceptance. I came to understand that the, God, that the grace that I was receiving from these women was actually a reflection of God's grace and who God is, and that there is no sin or brokenness in me that can separate me from God. Once I realized that it wasn't just human love and acceptance that I was receiving, it made me fall deeper in love with God and realize that God is truly a treasure that I want to experience and know more. Since then, I've been trying to practice this new understanding by being more intentional and vulnerable in my relationships with my Christian and non-Christian friends and family. I'm also trying to be more honest with God. While he already knows my heart and is already responding with love, it's up to me to lift up all of my pride and my pains up to him in repentance and faith. I'm still learning how to do this day by day, and even last month, around the time of ICF's retreat, I was led by the Spirit to reconsider how I was slipping in this. I really resonated with a fellow ICFers sharing about how they recognize time and time again the same idols and barriers keeping them from God, and I know that I'm not the only one. Still, hopefully the fact that I'm sharing these insecurities before 200 people, something that I couldn't do this time last year, can encourage you to do the same with your small groups, your families, or a friend. And I hope that this is a way that you can be praying for me and for ICF to recognize who God is and to honor him through intentional, vulnerable, and loving sharings. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I am a junior at Brandeis. Um, I was told not to touch the microphone, so I'll resist that temptation right now. <laughs> uh, so my question is, have you guys ever had someone like in your life who you found like to be difficult to love? Like this person is just so difficult to love. Um, my life is full of people who I struggle to love. Uh, <laughs> some, of, some of them are not, some of them are non-Christian and, and oftentimes, um, loving difficult people comes with the job description of being a Christian in a world that doesn't recognize the authority of Christ. Um, it's heartbreaking though, especially in retrospect, when I struggle to love a brother or sister in Christ. Um, these broken relationships are the result of the hatred that I can so easily carry in my heart. Um, I even like put the word hatred in parentheses here because I was like, I was deciding last night as I was putting like, this together, like, should I use the word hatred? Like, it seems so strong, but like, this is actually what it is, right? Um, and yet every day I interact uh, with a brother or sister in Christ or an unbelieving friend at my school at Brandeis who I label my head as difficult to love. Um, in those times, I'm often also tempted to label these people as needy, self-destructive, or simply just annoying. It's not that uh, these people are actually being needy or self-destructive or annoying, um, but that my thick-headedness makes it difficult for me to love as Christ calls us to love. Um, as a sinful man, my initial reaction to someone who is difficult to love is uh, frustration and impatience. As a sinful man who's trying to follow God, I also hold on to a lot of shame regarding the state of my heart. 
Uh, in these moments, it feels as though my capacity for love has been completely depleted. Uh, I think that ultimately there's a, sub- a substantial amount of like cultural uh, like components to this. Like behavior that the world or our culture finds to be socially out of line, our behaviors um, in a brother or sister or a friend that I will find difficult to love. If someone's behavior does not fit into my little box of what makes somebody lovable, like reciprocating my love or like-mindedness or my sense of humor, uh, then my response to their behavior is often not a loving response. Uh, a heart that is carrying anything but love is not what God has called us to. Uh, in John 1, 4, in 1 John 4, uh, sorry, we hear again about the hope for the world and the hope for our hateful hearts. We love because he loved us first, and when we love, we love in the same way he loves us. That is, we love unconditionally, with a love threshold that is so low that the poorest of the poor and the neediest of the needy can come to us and find the love of God. That's what sacrificial living meant for Christ. And uh, this is how ICF's focus on sacrificial living has encouraged me uh, to pursue this pearl great price, to seek out the joy that God promises for us uh, in pursuing each other in love. Uh, this was especially challenging, challenging for me last semester uh, when ICF studied Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 says that, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, having, uh, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In my life, looking to my own interests often means looking to preserve like my time. Uh, as a college student, I can say the, the biggest lie of my college life is how much time I really have, and it's actually a whole lot. Uh, and giving up, giving up this time for the sake of the body of Christ is actually worth every second, because the reward is Christ, this pearl of great value. Uh, even with Christ as the end of this, though, and even in ICF itself, I even struggle to love brothers and sisters of mine. My attitude is often to like, grit my teeth and to try to summon the energy to care for a brother, uh, to just get through the time that I committed when I could be studying or sleeping. Um, but this is also not the tenderness and the compassion that we are called to, and certainly not the valuing of another's life above my own. Uh, this attitude does not reflect union with Christ. But I do know the joy uh, that this union in Christ brings. And I know that the joy that comes with sharing in the spirit and good fellowship. I am unashamed of the restorative power of, of Christ in my relationships with others, in and out of the church, in ICF or at Brandeis. No matter the evil that I hold on to in my own heart, by the grace of God, we are empowered to love in ways that are far beyond our capacities. Uh, so my challenge, I guess, for ICF in particular, uh, is to consider how we in community I can encourage each other to love those who uh, are difficult to love because the blood of Christ is for everybody uh, and his death is no more of a sacrifice for the brother or sister you are struggling to love than it is for those who you can easily give away your love to. Um, Yeah, so pray for me in this regard and pray for each other and seek out the restoration of relationships that have been broken because we have dismissed people who have been hard to love in this way. yeah, and it turns out that in Christ and with Christ at your side, it's actually pretty easy to love, and in loving them, uh, it also brings um, this pretty core relationship with Christ that is much stronger. Thank you, guys.
Hello. My name is Gloria. I'm 18. I'm a freshman at Wellesley. I'm from the greatest state of Texas. Though I was born and raised... I see you. Though I was born and raised in downtown L.A. Um, and fun fact, I'm a pastor's kid. This was how I introduced myself to everyone at the beginning of this year. Note that I called myself a pastor's kid and not a Christian. That's because Christianity wasn't my faith. It was simply my culture, a habit, if you will. My parents knew I was going to turn out like this. It's commonly stereotyped that pastor's children are either, one, angelic role models, or two, wild beyond control. My mom told me that when she got her calling to serve in ministry, she had one request, just one, that she prayed every single night. God, she said, don't give up on my children. Back to me. Growing up, my greatest fear had always been disappointing my parents, and I knew how important God was to them. So I went to church. I served in church. Um, I prayed with my parents. I read the Bible. I was constantly assuring them that I had a relationship with God, all the while knowing I was lying. I mean, yes, I knew that God loved me, but I had no such love for him. At that point, my love belonged strictly to the world. This faith of mine hit a new low during high school senior year. The world was too alluring to me then. Even college applications were an incredible experience because what other time are you pretty much forced to brag about yourself, right? I spent that year getting my share of football games, senior parties, crushing on the soccer captain, and I got bored of it. But I had something going for me, and that was my excitement for college. Now for all y'all high schoolers out there, I don't know what your expectations are for college, but mine were these. My college years are going to be the best years of my life. I would fall in love with my classmates and professors. Um, I would fall in love with my school, fall in love with the school sports teams, uh, fall in love with a major, and maybe even fall in love with a person. Maybe. I'm not sure how to say this, but um, none of that happened. And honestly, the, the closest I got to any of that was falling into a lake during biology lab. The world which I had loved so much let me down, and it let me down hard. Um, I found no passion. My classmates annoyed me. I hated my school. The only relevant sports team at Wellesley is crew. I don't even know what that is. Um, and on top of all that, I was expecting first, or ex I was experiencing firsthand the legendary concept of peer pressure. Now, I never believed in peer pressure before, but it first came to me in the form of drugs in the form of people who also hated the school. People like me who said, come on, Gloria, this is as close to the college experience as you're going to get. And how desperately did I want that college experience? So I let temptation control me. Like Eve, who I had always thought of as weak. Like her, I took the apple from that tree and not even just once. And even then, even yet, there was no long-term fulfillment. There was only shame, guilt, sin. I didn't know myself anymore. And I forgot what happiness was until one night I decided I hated the world. And I prayed, God, help me. God, I said, don't give up on your child. And he didn't. Of course he didn't. God offered encouragement through a song that my sister randomly showed me over break. It's called One Thing, and the lyrics start like this. I tasted the world, had more than enough, its promises fleeting. Of water and wine, I emptied the cup and found myself wanting. But there is a well that never runs dry. I didn't need to hear anymore. I was on autopilot. I got out of bed. Amazing. I opened my Bible, flipped it straight to John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. 
To summarize, a woman had committed, committed adultery, and some Pharisees asked Jesus if they should stone her, because according to Moses' law, you cheat, you get stoned. The Pharisees were thinking, oh, Jesus, we've got you now. If you say stone her, the crowd will never forgive you. If you let her go, then you're being way too soft on God's law. Nonchalantly, Jesus bent down to write in the sand, and then he said, go ahead, stone her. That's what the law says. But just one rule. Let the man without sin go first. Then he went back to writing on the ground. And in that moment, I thought, wow, my God is so cool. It's a simple and well-known story, but it really got me feeling some kind of way. And I wish I could go back now and subtweet at high school Gloria. You did end up falling in love in college. I fell in love with Jesus. This Jesus who was casually writing in the sand, who dared anyone to touch his daughter. Now, I didn't relate to the woman all that much. What I saw in this story was God's love for me. It was through this verse that I fell in love with the kingdom of heaven, with this treasure of God's faithfulness, love, and grace. And what a feeling. The same God who created the oceans and the mountains and the galaxies will love a sinner like me above it all. Now, I don't want to leave y'all thinking like, oh, Gloria, that's a very nice testimony, because it's not just my testimony. It's a reminder and warning that ultimately nothing in the world will offer you fulfillment, because the world does not love you. If you want love, God has it all. He loves you so much that you're here today. And I want this to be a reminder that his grace is more than enough for me, for you, and for all of us in this room. To wrap up, I'm happier now. No, I still don't love my school. And no, everything is not always rainbows and sunshine. But I do have this God-given community here that I'm learning to love. And I finally found a real treasure worth living and dying for. Thank you. Thanks, Vivian and Matt and Gloria. Well, hopefully you get a sense of some of the blessings I feel in getting to work with. Uh, these college students in the college fellowship here in ICF. Um, a common thing I just heard from listening to the testimonies was this notion of giving up, if you want to call it that. Vivian had to give up the walls of self-protection she had built around herself in order to take the risk to be more vulnerable with others and with God. Man had to give up his desire to avoid those whom he clashed with, those whom he thought were unlovable, so to speak, to build relationships with them and reach out to them. And Gloria had to give up what her friend, what her then friends said was needed for a true college experience. But in giving up these things and taking the risk, they found more of God. And when they experienced more of the kingdom, they discovered more and more that he was this treasure, this pearl of great price. And they experienced joy. And so as they were challenging you, you know, it made me think, you know, what are some of the things in the world that we hold on to that we don't want to let go of? What are the, some of the things that you would feel most saddened by if God took took it away. And if you would feel this way, maybe it's because you are holding on to them too tightly. The pastor told the story of his sister who lost her husband to cancer in 2005. The husband at the time was in his 50s and had been a faithful follower of Christ. The wife was sitting by his special bed during his last days on earth. Um, 
there was a bed set up for him and she would wipe his forehead in his last hours. And during this time, she seemed very steady and joyful. His people came to visit the husband and kind of pay their last respects. One visitor became irritated and asked, how can you be so happy when something so evil is happen- happening? His cancer is ravaging your husband's body. And she answered, similar to what Alex kind of said in the video, my husband deserves to go to hell like you and me. But because of Christ, in a few hours, my husband will be with God in heaven. Is that not worth rejoicing about? In her joy, she goes out and sells all that she has and buys that field, claims that treasure, the pearl of great price. So I pray that you would be encouraged and challenged by these students who shared a little bit about their spiritual journey, and though we are not all there yet, we are all still on this journey. You know, we're learning more and more about how valuable this treasure is, and we're willing to let go of certain things in order to gain more of Christ, like Paul says in Philippians. How he was willing to count everything as a loss, as rubbish, as rubbish for the sake of gaining Christ and being found having a righteousness in him that was not his own, but was Christ. So I hope you will learn and be encouraged to give up the things that you've been holding on to. And in doing so, may you find the kingdom of God to be this treasure, this pearl of great price, which brings hope and life and joy everlasting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the testimony of these students. And really, Lord, it's a testimony of how great you are and how you've been working in their lives. Father, thank you for the kingdom of heaven, which we long to come. Father, when we see all this injustice and division and evil in the world, we long for the day when Jesus returns and there will be no more evil, there will be no more war, there will be no more famine or division, but there will be righteousness and peace and love and healing and you will reign forever and ever. Lord, hasten that day and let us see how valuable, how much of a treasure this kingdom of God truly is, your kingdom. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.